Support for a quick timeout podcast is brought to you by our friends at Dr. Dish Basketball. College and professional teams from around the country rely on Dr. Dish shooting machines to help improve their players' development. Whether it's in the gym or at home in your driveway, Dr. Dish will improve your basketball workouts. To find out more about how Dr. Dish can help your program, visit drdishbasketball.com. I'm Coach Tony Miller, and you're listening to a Quick Timeout Podcast. We have conversations with basketball coaches from around the country focused on specific topics designed simply to help grow the game. Thanks for downloading and listening to a Quick Timeout Podcast. After nearly two years, March Madness is back, and so I thought it'd be both fun and insightful for us to have someone on who's been a part of the college basketball season. ESPN's College Hoops play-by-play man, Rich Hollenberg, is our guest today. Rich, thanks so much for jumping on the podcast. I am honored that you asked me, Tony, and uh, I look forward to a fun conversation. Uh, We were talking beforehand, only about a third of the games this season that you have been able to call in person. And so I'm wondering from the two-thirds that you weren't there, like the difference, uh, I'm thinking like no energy from the crowd. You're kind of unable to glance over maybe at a coach after – a bad call to see the reaction and you're, you're essentially watching the game like the rest of us. Was that a big deal at all? Yeah, it was a, a huge deal. And no one in my industry who you speak with is going to sugarcoat that or mm-hmm. lie about it. It, it was difficult. <clears throat> I don't have the greatest pipes uh, in the business, <laughs> but one thing that I know I cannot be outdone on is enthusiasm. So mm-hmm. I didn't think about this going into this season, But one thing that I found as this season has worn on is I put those earphones on and I am locked in. I am just as enthusiastic and passionate and energetic as I would be in a 15,000 seat capacity crowd, uh, you know, Kansas taking on Texas, whatever the situation is. Once I put my, my headset on, I was locked in. So I'm fortunate that way. I'm sure there were some play-by-play guys who really struggled with that. But at the same time, I'm literally watching the game like you're watching it at home, except I'm doing it on a glorified Zoom call on a 36-inch monitor in front of me. And that's the only device I have to call a game. So some places it's more difficult than others. Gallagher-Iber Arena, the cameras Mm -hmm. are set way up high and looking down on the court. So it's harder to see names and numbers. Um, things like that uh, definitely proved to be a challenge, but I, I've dedicated myself to repeating the mantra of just be grateful this entire year. And I'm grateful that we've gotten through the regular season and are into the postseason. And I'll be even more grateful if we get a full-fledged NCAA tournament coming up. You know, Fran Fraschilla, you call games with uh, Chris Spatola. I mentioned those two guys because they've both been on the podcast, so we'll give them oh, good. extra extra love. But your knowledge of the game. I would imagine in a lot of cases you sit there, it's almost like a coaching clinic listening to to what they have. The process that you go through and the stuff that you have learned from those guys, how how does all of that come together and what does that process look like? Because I I would guess that it's a lot like a coach scouting for for a game that's upcoming. It's not totally dissimilar. Uh, Obviously, as a play-by-play man, my part of the job number one is knowing names and numbers. I, I would crush myself if I mispronounced the name or forgot a number 
or something like that. I remember reading Marv Albert's book, I'd Love to Have a Game, when I was a teenager. And I remember in that book, one of the things I remember most about it was he talked about how in his hotel room for a game, he would put index cards everywhere in his hotel room with different players' names and numbers. So everywhere he looked, he would see a different name and number. And that was his process. Everyone's got a different one. And mine is, I'm a writer. I, I don't use my computer as much as a lot of current play-by-play -play guys do. A lot of people have a laptop at a game. I don't. A lot of people use computerized printouts. I don't. Um, I have it right here. I could show you what a board looks like from one of my games. This is, uh, okay, so I've done a ton of West Virginia games this year. This happens to be one of the games that they did early in the non-conference against Richmond. And I know you're not going to be able to see all the details. Awesome. Yeah, yeah, but as you can see, there's a ton of writing, a ton of yeah. whiteout. I update my stats that way. But that's just how I've learned, even as a young kid, when I was first doing this, to memorize things. I tend to memorize things better by writing them down. So I still do that to this day. But to your point, I, you know, first of all, going back to your initial question, I've always had a knowledge of sports and of basketball in particular. It was my favorite sport growing up. I only played in high school. I didn't play anything beyond that. But I was always a research hound and a stats freak, read the sports pages and the box scores and all that stuff. And I love trivia and statistics. So all of that quote unquote knowledge kind of comes natural to me. It's in my DNA. But it is like you said, an absolute coaching clinic. And I'm like SpongeBob sitting next to these guys, just soaking up all that knowledge and learning everything. And that really ties beautifully into what is another cardinal rule, in my opinion, of being a good play-by-play -play man is being a good listener and listening to what your partner is saying because they're the experts. And if Fran or Chris or Len or anyone else who I've worked with through the years has something interesting to say, sometimes the dumbest questions get the smartest answers. And even mm -hmm. if I know what he's talking about, a zipper cut or a UCLA cut or something like that, I might say, what do you mean by that? Mm -hmm. And have them explain it because chances are the audience doesn't know. So right. those are opportunities for me to learn along with the audience. And if I already know, it's a chance for me to tee up my analyst and make him look good because that's job number three for me. So I already mm -hmm. named the three top cardinal rules of being a good play-by-play -play guy. Memorization, names and numbers, being a good listener, and making your analyst look like a star. Those, those are three among a handful of things that I pride myself on. The best basketball coaches are relying on data more than ever. That's why coaches love Huddle Assist. With Assist, you'll get full game breakdowns, including complete team and player stats, in less than 24 hours. Your stats are ready when you need them. And Assist is more than just a box score. Use interactive reports like shot charts and advanced stats like lineup data, VPS, and of course, effective field goal percentage to coach smarter. Plus, Assist brings your stats to life. Every stat is marked on the video at the moment it happened. See every shot, turnover, rebound, and much more with just a few clicks. Want to see how Huddle Assist is elevating basketball? Visit huddle.com assist. That's huddle.com assist to find out more. Coach, really quickly, let me tell you about a brand new app called Wildcard. It's a social engagement platform specifically designed for youth sports teams. You, your players, their parents, 
People are going to love this thing. The app allows you to create virtual training programs, manage schedules, give player and game reports, and post player videos and highlights. I've checked out the platform, and I highly recommend you give Wildcard a look. Especially in this climate, with a lot of us having limited or even no contact with our players, Wildcard allows you to stay connected and build culture with your players through the use of technology. Right now, there's a special promotion for a quick timeout listeners. You can download and use the app for free, but you must do so within the first two weeks of the release of this episode. So check the link in the show notes to download and start using Wildcard with your team today. You're going to love it. You mentioned West Virginia, and I do want to talk kind of as we prepare for the tournament, the Big 12 Conference, you know, you spent most of your time around them, but we'll talk about some other teams too. Mm -hmm. Uh, The Big 10 gets a lot of attention, rightfully so, so, but Big 12 has some really good teams, uh, starting with Baylor. So let let me start with that. Like from an X's and O's perspective, what do you feel like makes Scott Drew's team so tough this year? Well, I think it all starts with defense. I mean, the best three-point shooting team in the country. But they are nothing without that defense. And that mm-hmm. I go back, you know, a couple of years when Scott – and it's funny. It seems like this year, Tony, almost every team in the Big 12 has done this. But Scott preceded it by at least a year when he had Tristan Clark. And Tristan Clark was leading the nation in field goal percentage. And all of a sudden, he goes down with a knee injury – and misses the next year and basically never plays again now with hindsight being what it is. Everyone knew Scott Drew had a quote-unquote signature defense, a 1-3-1 defense that he relied on mostly. All of a sudden, he was forced to pivot out of necessity into playing much more of, if not man-to-man, than maybe a zone matchup type defense. And now that's almost exclusively what he does. Mm -hmm. And sometimes you have to coach to your personnel and he's certainly done that. They don't have a dominant big man. It's more of a place filler for guys like Flo Thamba and Jonathan Chamwachatra. But, you know, certainly with the personnel that he has, it benefits them to play man-to-man because those guards are so ferocious defensively. And then on the flip side, that leads to maybe the best transition offense in basketball and the best three-point shooting team in college basketball. So I just marvel at the fact that Scott Drew, who for so long never really got his due as a good X's and O's guy, not only combined his ability to pull in transfers and guys that no one really thought of or recruited highly, develop those transfers through redshirt years and so on and so forth, and then turn it into what has now been over the last three, four, five years, one of the premier programs in college basketball. So Uh, I salute Scott for not only his ability to create that culture at Baylor, but also the X's and O's that he's done over the last couple of years and really transforming the way that Baylor basketball presents itself on the floor. And like I said, it's just the Big 12 has been really fascinating this year because everyone seems to be going small, four round Mm -hmm. one, five out, even Bill Self and certainly uh, West Virginia. Bob Huggins has had to do a, same, a similar thing. He loved having Culver and Sheboy as the two bigs. Then Sheboy jumped ship, and all of a sudden, it's Derek Culver and four guards around him. The offense took off after that. The defense might have taken a step back, but they're still winning games at you know a very significant clip to the point where they're going to be probably a three seed in the NCAA tournament. So it's just fascinating to watch these coaches being able to kind of shift on a dime, if you will, sometimes in season, sometimes based on what the personnel they have. 
And I think Baylor's done as well as anybody in that category. That's great. You mentioned Kansas and only about a month ago, I was looking at this last night and just shocked. They were unranked and had lost five of seven games like a month ago. And now they're hovering around the top 10. The difference is what, in your opinion? The difference has been the defense for sure. And the fact that Ochai Abaji is shooting the ball almost as well as anybody in the Big 12 for the most part of this season. He certainly did it against Oklahoma going back to his hometown. He's from Kansas City. And then doing it without David McCormick. Here's another example of what we were talking about, Coach, because they had really gotten comfortable with what Bill Self was trying to convince everybody of all year long. David McCormick's my best offensive player, and everyone was like, yeah, sure he is, Coach, sure he is. <laughs> and then all of a sudden, the last month or so of the season, David McCormick was their best player, and Bill Self in Kansas looked a little bit more like what Bill Self wanted the Kansas offense to look like. Four round one, not necessarily two bigs, but certainly with David McCormick in there, it was he was option number one on that offense. So to take that hit right before the tournament started, that David McCormick's not going to be available, what do they do? They go to five out. And it reminded me of how good they were at the start of the year when they beat a team like Creighton, who is a really good, talented team. And Jalen Wilson, as a freshman, was dominating and really kind of burst on the scene and made a national name for himself. Because Jalen Wilson, I think he's 6'6", maybe 6'7", he was playing their five. But they were mm. playing him out on the wing and allowing him driving space. And that's mm. when he's at his best, when he's driving to the hole, not maybe posting up or putting him at the high post or anything like that. So that's really what they're forced to do in the Big 12 tournament. And so far, they've obviously done a good job of that. Bill Self is, I, I know, again, to steal a line from Fran, he is a Hall of Fame tinkerer. Like, mm. no one makes better in-game adjustments than, than Bill Self. No one has better sideline out of bounds plays or under the basket plays after, you know, after an out of bounds um, or after a timeout, things like that. No one is a better tinkerer than Bill Self. So, you know, whatever situation they are faced with personnel wise, he's going to have some plays drawn up for that. And his team is going to be ready. The thing that I've always marveled at having access to the team before games and at practices and things like that. Kansas runs their shoot-arounds differently than any other team I've seen and I've covered, mm. and it's like a classroom. And the assistant coaches, especially the one who runs the scout, basically quizzes the players. They don't talk as much uh. as they ask questions, and the uh. players are relied on to answer those questions and supply the answers to the rest of the team. So if we're playing Tony Miller's team, one of the coaches who's running the scout is going to say, okay, uh, Coach Miller's point guard, what do we need to know about him? And Christian Brown might have to stand up and say, well, he's left-handed. He likes to drive left. We need to make him go right. Uh, you know, things like that. And sure. it's really remarkable to watch how it's a, a real classroom experience on the basketball court. Uh, I was going to ask you about Cade Cunningham's season and rank it with the other two Big 12 uh, Player of the Years who are freshmen, Kevin Durant and Michael Beasley, and about five seconds into doing the research on that. Those two guys were unreal, but yeah. it's still this year was still very impressive. And he's your thoughts on on a player now on Cade and his ability now and then maybe even in the future. Well, uh, I will admit to you, Tony, that I am 
a horrendous evaluator of talent. And <laughs> well, so are the guys to, that do it professionally. Yeah, so that's it's true. Just that's the, well, some of them maybe. <laughs> you could make that argument. Uh, I go back, just the funny aside, I, I say that tongue in cheek, but I, I do mean that. That is not my job to evaluate talent. And I'm not very good at it because I see what's in front of me and sure. not what's to come. And I remember watching Grant Hill go through his career at Duke and thinking, man, everyone's falling all over this guy. I don't think he's <laughs> going to be a good pro. Uh, and now Grant Hill ends up being a <laughs> Hall of Famer. So that, that's where my, my talent evaluation skills lie. But with that said, I remember calling um, Cade Cunningham's first Big 12 game. And it was against TCU, and it was at home, and he had a shot to win the game, and everything in my being expected him to hit that shot. Mm. And instead, he kind of mishandled the ball, took a bad shot, they missed, and TCU won the basketball game. And I left that game going, eh, you know, mm. certainly not doesn't look like the number one pick to me but what a layman like me doesn't understand is he has a skill set that is so different and unique than anybody else which is why he's so high on every expert's draft boards and he's the presumptive number one pick in the draft first of all you can't coach his size he's six eight you can't coach the skill set that he has with that size so he mm -hmm. can be a point guard at the nba level Will he be able to hang on the defensive side? I don't know, but teams switch so much that I don't think it's really going to matter for someone mm -hmm. like Cade Cunningham defensively necessarily. Uh, the thing I've been most impressed with, Tony, is his ability to improve his three-point shooting as the year has mm -hmm. gone on. And I know what Fran has said and what I've noticed in all the times I've called Cade's games this year is he was almost too deferential in mm -hmm. the beginning of the season. Like, it's almost like he... I know from talking to his former teammates at Montverde and talking to coaches and things, that's how Cade plays. He's a pass-first guy. He wants to get his teammates involved first, and he's done it on the AAU circuit, and he's done it at Montverde, but he was doing it on the college level, and Mike Boynton's going to him, dude, sometimes we need you to be the guy and hmm. take the first shot and look for your shot first time down, and he wasn't doing that. And again, that raised a red flag for me but as the season's gone on, he not only was dominating in the second half of games and in late game situations like those clutch times with five minutes left, but as the season wore on, he started transferring that to the first half of games. And then all of a sudden you look at box scores and it's 20 every night, it's eight rebounds every night, it's five and six assists every night. And his three point shooting was getting better and better and better. And then all of a sudden he exploded against Oklahoma and Norman for 40. And everyone's like, this is why he's the number one pick in the draft. But right. he's shown it all season long. I think now he's really put it all together and shows even schmoes like me why he's mm -hmm. going to be the number one pick in the draft. Well, the progression of the freshman is always fun to watch. And sometimes you hit on them and sometimes you don't, which is what Kentucky fans and some Duke fans are lamenting about at this point during the year. Um, you also called some of the small college tournaments, and I know you don't have a vast knowledge of every small conference, but is there maybe a coach or a player or a team to watch that you like here in March? Well, this is uh, you know coming from someone who doesn't have a good long-term memory, so I'm going to go short-term memory. 
And okay. just last week, I called the Northeast Championship game, and Mount St. Mary's was a four seed in that tournament, and they took down the two seed Bryant, who had the fifth best scoring team in the nation, and they mm. did it at home, where Bryant was undefeated at home this season, one of only 10 D1 schools to go undefeated at home with 10 or more victories. So Mount St. Mary's wins with defense. They have a 36-year-old head coach in Dan Engelstad, and he wants to play fast. He wants to play like Brian plays, but they just don't have the personnel to do it. So again, going back to our earlier conversation about coaches being able to pivot, he decided to pull the string on playing an off-tempo offense and focus once again on defense. And Tony, I'm telling you, you've got to get a load of their point guard, Damian Chonqui. He wears number mm. 15 for the mount. He is five foot eight, and he is all guts and all winner. And this kid is a hard scrabble kid, grew up in Baltimore, got zero love from any D1 schools, and ended up staying close to home, going to Mount St. Mary's. And he is the most clutch performer numbers-wise and eye test-wise that I've seen all year in college basketball. No one can keep them in front of him. No defense can stay in, can stay in front of Damian Shanqui. And he has the onions to say to steal a line from Bill Raftery to take every single big shot when they need it. So you get to that five-minute mark, and the Mount jokes about it because his name is Damian Shanqui. They say <laughs> it's Dame time. And it was again in the NEC championship. And I was just so impressed with a kid like that, with his backstory and with his style of play and his stature, literally and figuratively. If Mount wins a game in the NCAA tournament, Joe Lenardi has him as a 15 seed. If they could pull off a stunner, and even if they could compete in that 15-2 game, the world is going to know about Damian Chonqui. He's a terrific, terrific kid. Bigger picture, your four best teams, regardless of bracket positioning, because at the time of this, brackets haven't been set yet, but your four best teams right now. Well, it's Gonzaga and Baylor, absolutely, without a doubt. And I'm not I'm not sure if Baylor is not better than Gonzaga. Mm -hmm. And the only reason I say that is because while Gonzaga has Drew Timmy and he is a quote-unquote five, he doesn't look like a five and he doesn't really play like a five. He plays like the best guy at the YMCA down on the mm -hmm. low post. He's got tons of moves and terrific footwork, but he's not going to overpower you. And even though Baylor doesn't have a traditional five that's going to log a ton of minutes, they've got big, powerful guys in Flo Thamba and JTT and even Mark Vital, who is one of the biggest matchup nightmares on both sides of the floor of anybody in college basketball. So I, if you put a gun to my head right now, I would pick Baylor to beat Gonzaga, but it's those two teams absolutely that are the top two. When you get down to who are the three and four, again, sometimes the eye test is the eye test. And even though it's been a while, I got to see Michigan in person. Dan Dockich and I called their game on the road at Maryland earlier this season. And man, are they good. Yeah. They are so good offensively. And Hunter Dickinson is a throwback big man who plays with an edge. And then he's surrounded by a bunch of dudes who got who have great floor games. Isaiah delivers. Um, hopefully Eli Brooks will be healthy. I, they've got a ton of guys who can score the basketball. And they were much better defensively than I thought they would be. And so much credit goes to Jawan Howard because I think a lot of people thought 
it's a great hire in name only, right? He's a Fab Five guy. He's going to win the press conference and so on. But he has not only brought in super talent because of his name, he's also shown that he could coach in-game and he could also demonstrate the ability to or delegate authority like so many head coaches have been doing now. So he has Phil Martelli. He has Howard Isley. He has a bunch of guys on his bench that are like offensive and defensive coordinators. So he's not having to rely on just his skill set as a head coach to get teams, his team through whatever situation they're facing. I just, I love that Michigan team. So I'll put them in there. And at this point, I mean, you could take your pick between teams like Illinois, uh, Ohio State. I don't think I'm ready to put mm -hmm. in that category. But um, I think Villanova was exposed now without Colin Gillespie. Uh, no. So, I mean, maybe as I continue to talk about it, maybe those are the four teams. Maybe maybe it is Michigan and, and Illinois. And I'm going to pressure you to pick a champion if you had to right now. Who would it be? Well, since I, about a minute ago, I just said you put a gun to my head. <laughs> you just said Baylor over Gonzaga. Yeah, I'm going to take Baylor over Gonzaga. And like I said, so many people have made this argument in the past as to why the Zags have never won an NCAA tournament. I don't buy this as why they've never won because they've been to Final Fours before mm -hmm. and they've been to the big stage before. But it's true that they have not played the level of talent. So while a lot of, listen, there's a lot of question marks right now because of what's gone on with Duke and now with Virginia about having to pull out of the ACC tournament, uh, you know, how important this year are the conference tournaments? Why are we doing this? Don't we want the end game to be everyone is healthy for the NCAA tournament? And I say this, a lot of these coaches use the conference tournaments to tune up for the NCAA tournament because a lot of these coaches, you know, want their kids to be in that cauldron of pressure so that when it comes time to play in the field of 68, they're ready somewhat for that kind of pressure, that winner go home type of a feeling. And I feel like a lot of coaches in these power conferences do that. And so Baylor has that opportunity. Unfortunately, with all due respect to the West Coast Conference, Gonzaga never has that opportunity. Yes, they have a bullseye and they get everybody's best effort because it's the Super Bowl every time one of those teams plays the Bulldogs. But let's face it, St. Mary's, Pepperdine, BYU, they're just not up to the level of talent that Gonzaga is, and certainly not up to the level that Big 12 basketball and Big 10 basketball are. So with all those reasons, I would take Baylor as my best team. It would have been great to be able to see Gonzaga and Baylor part oh, one. Fingers but, crossed, man. Fingers yeah, crossed. That was even, you know, that you mentioned Virginia and then also Duke, but how the potential there for, I mean, what if this happens to Baylor or Gonzaga on, on route to the final four, and then you end up right. with a random person. So grateful, I think is the word that you used early. So earlier, so grateful to at least have a season. And uh, I am grateful that you came on the podcast. So that's Rich Hollenberg. He has been college basketball play-by-play -play commentator, and you can connect with him on Twitter at rich on sports. Great username. Uh, rich really appreciate you coming on the show. Tony, it was a blast talking hoop with you, my friend. That'll do it for this episode. Thanks so much for listening. We'll talk to you again at the next time out.